right. Good morning, Northern Hills. It's good to see everybody in the house. If uh, you're new joining us, I'm Brian, pastor here. So glad to have you guys. We had a great Easter. Just thank you so much for inviting friends, bringing people in. That was a lot of fun. And uh, got to celebrate some good news today about Solon. And I got more good news coming, guys. It's just Christmas early in 2022, all right? You're welcome. So we're going to do a quick little mini-series, which we'll talk about in just a second. Then Mother's Day is in about two weeks, I think, guys. We're going all about, it's all about the ladies on Mother's Day. We're going hard Mother's Day. So ladies, make sure you want to be there. Bring your families. It'll be a good time. And then the week after Mother's Day, yet another exciting announcement. Can you handle all this good news? Is it too much for you guys? So we're, we're having fun with it. So anyways, but for the next two weeks, guys, we're doing kind of a little mini-series called Ask Whatever You Want. Now, what we did the last couple of weeks was we literally opened up the door to allow anybody to ask whatever anonymous question they wanted to, which I am now regretting, seriously regretting. But we want to have just a little bit of fun with this series. And if you are new or don't really know the format, we are changing it up. This is not our normal practice. So we're just going to kind of be hitting as many questions as we can. This is all about quantity, guy, not quantity, not quality. It's all quantity today. But um, I think we're going to have some fun with it. Let me just lay some ground rules, though, because I want to make sure we understand where we're going with this. Um, I don't want to just keep spouting off my ideas while we're talking about these questions. If there is clear biblical guidance on any of these questions, we're going to dig right into that and make it very clear. If there's not an obvious verse or text that speaks to an issue or whatever, we'll look for some principles and see if we can get some guides there. But if we can't even get principles or exact verses, I will give my best shot at giving a God-informed opinion, which you are allowed to disagree with, all right? You're free to disagree you're also free to be wrong, okay? You're allowed to be wrong too. So that's all I'm gonna say about that. But um, we're just gonna get right to it. You guys wanna get started? We're gonna have some fun with this thing. First question that somebody submitted from our church said, why does it seem that the church as a whole is afraid to speak the truth of God's word? It seems like the church wants to be politically correct, avoiding language or behavior that could offend a particular group of people. The first time I read this question, my first thought was, well, what's the politically correct answer to this question? How do, I, how do I answer this without unnecessarily offending people? Now, I, I, I truly believe I understand maybe why this question came in. Can we just have an honest moment and just admit that the last two years in particular have been interesting years in our world, in our culture? Can we at least acknowledge that? I mean, you think about the fact that we had COVID come in and there were strong positions on lockdowns and masks and vaccines. In the middle of all this, we had real serious conversations about race with George Floyd happening and all these other dynamics and what's appropriate to talk about and how, how to t even cover that. Then, not only that, it became an election year in 2020, and we had everybody saying, this candidate's going to ruin our country, this candidate's going to save our country, and all of these things going on at once. And here's the thing, can we just acknowledge it's been complicated? Can we acknowledge that? Is that fair to say? Can we at least acknowledge a little bit, too, that it's been a little bit complicated for pastors in particular? I'm not saying we've, we've had the hardest job, but you think about even with just churches closing in, how to reopen, when to reopen, masks, mandates, all these different things. Guys, I am so glad I was not pastoring a church during all of this. So, Pastor John, thank you so much for your sacrifice and, and, and commitment. Um, this is a lot. It's a lot to figure out. I am um, on the same day while all this was going on. This happened on the same day, which just made me laugh. I was talking to a Christian couple in the morning, and they, they came up and they said, and this wasn't actually in Northern Hills, but they were like, we need to take a stand. And we need people to fight against this authoritarian reign that's coming to our country. We need to take a stand against all this stuff. So that was the morning. The same day, I had another Christian couple say, we need to take a stand. 
People need to be team players and respect the government. The Bible says so. And we're being a bad witness for Jesus by not cooperating with all this stuff. That was the same exact day. All right. So th that's just some of the stuff that even pastors have been trying to figure out. Things get politicized. So, okay, where, where are the things that have to be shared? Like on a Sunday, for example, which things do we need just to overlook? And I actually, I took a poll with my massive social media following that I have, the millions and millions of people that follow me, um, just waiting to see what I have to say. Um, I just did a little poll though on my Instagram. I said, okay, do you guys think the church is too politically correct? And that's actually the response I got. So at the very least, it shows that there is some disagreement. Not everybody feels like this is the case, but I actually, I still think the question is valid. So outside of these two years though, I think you could make an argument that sometimes churches can tend to try to veer away from, you know, conflict or controversy and all that. Paul in 2 Timothy 4.3, he did say this, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. So we have to acknowledge this. There is a dynamic and a temptation for pastors and churches to cater to the interests, the dynamics, and just the general cultural attitudes of the day. That is a real temptation of a church. And it can be easy to sometimes compromise and even kind of edit sermons and a message to avoid, you know, stepping into what may feel like total controversy. And then it can create a whole positive feedback loop where you get positive feedback on it and you think it's just working. So that is the challenge. I'll admit that. I think there is an important principle here though, too, that we have to lean into when it comes to this whole politically correct conversation. John wrote one of the gospels in the New Testament. He says this in John 1:14. we have seen his glory. He's talking about Jesus right now. The glory of the one and only son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So right here, John's talking about the incarnation of Jesus, God in the flesh coming to earth. And he says he's coming in grace and truth. Now we have to have an honest moment. All of us in here don't do a very good job of grace and truth. We're very good at grace or truth. So every single one of us in here, you're maybe 70% truth, 30% grace, or you have another combination there. And here's what can kind of happen with that. Some of you guys, you're a heavy gracer in this church. So your temptation is to be a little soft on stuff, to kind of give a little ground because you don't want to have anybody stir in the pot. It's going to be awkward. You don't like that vibe at all. Some of you guys, though, you're heavy truthers. And right now in your head, you're like, get them, pastor. Tell them how it is. And you don't care if people like you at all. You're like, no, I'm going to be right. And you're going to hate me. And I'm perfectly okay with that. All right. I'm seeing nods right now. It's like, yep, yep. Be as mean as you want right now, Brian. That, so here's the deal though. Jesus was a hundred percent grace and a hundred percent truth. He lived both of these things fully. And so our challenge as a church, and again, what we are striving for is how can we truly speak and live into the truth in an uncompromising, bold, devoted way, and yet avoid unnecessarily offending and alienating people from Jesus? That's the temptation. Because we are very serious about truth and we want to communicate it clearly. But how you speak the truth, when you speak to the truth, why you're speaking the truth, that's when things start to get complicated. And that's when the grace situation gets real. And I know this sounds a little tongue-in-cheek, guys, but just hear me. I really have no interest in being politically correct or any of those things. I am very concerned and passionate about our church being biblically correct. That's what I really care about for this church, truly. And 
What that means though is guys, my responsibility is not to pander to political parties or platforms. My job is to teach God's word and lift up Jesus. And I know there's so many other important conversations about, but ultimately that is our responsibility as church because at the end of the day, Jesus truly is our only hope. And that may mean sometimes we are going to offend the cultural values of the days. And sometimes it means we're gonna align and we're just gonna step into that when it happens. And by the end of this message, we will do that, okay? So just get buckle up and have fun, all right? All right, do I just wanna keep going? I got another question. All right, we're having some fun with this. Next one, can we hear more teaching on the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Why, yes, you can. Absolutely. Now, again, guys, this is like cursory overview stuff. This would absolutely merit multiple weeks. All right, so this is flyover, just touch on it, but I at least want to get the conversation going. So Paul, 1 Corinthians 12 says this, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Okay, so this is something Paul wants us to know about. I'm fast forwarding to verse 7. He says, A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. Verse 11, it is the one and only spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. So again, at a fundamental base level, we can define a spiritual gift this way. It is a supernatural ability given by God to serve others. All right, that at a very cursory overview level, this is not a natural talent. All right, some of you guys are born with athletic skills or you're a brainiac or whatever. We're talking about spiritual gifts. This is a divine deposit God puts in you, sometimes right when you put your faith in God, sometimes throughout your Christian journey, as a means to forward his kingdom work in the world. That is what we're talking about right here. And if you read through the New Testament, you will come across these points in different letters where people kind of give bucket lists of different gifts. None of these are totally comprehensive, but they give us an idea of kind of certain things that God may put inside of you. So here's, a, here's just a quick taste of some of them. Hospitality is a gift. Administration, evangelism, teaching, encouragement, craftsmanship, good with your hands, music, leadership, giving, and there's, there's a whole lot more than that. And as you see, God will sometimes give people different combinations and levels of different gifts. So some of you guys are really strong in one gift. That's like your main thing. Some of you guys are kind of balanced out of a few, and it can kind of look different in any individual person. But I have to touch on this because I know some of you guys who asked some of these questions, you were really asking about another layer of this question. And a lot of people, when it comes to this conversation, want to know about some of those more like supernatural, really spiritual type gifts. And sometimes we would call these sign gifts. That's what they're typically called sometimes in the church world. This would include things like healing, seeing physical healing peoples through a gift you have. This would include gifts like prophecy, getting a word or message from God to give to a person or group of people, or even the gift of tongues which if that's a new terminology for you, God will sometimes give someone a gift, a private prayer language for their own relationship with him, or even the ability to speak other languages at times in different variations of that. So here's the thing. This is where sometimes people get confused or really freaked out. The first time I had ever heard somebody praying or speaking in tongues before, I was in high school. And this person starts, you know, doing this thing. And I knew he was from Croatia. So I'm like, huh. Praying in Croatian sounds kind of different. I didn't know that. And then other people started doing it too. And I'm like, how many Croatian people are there in this church? Like, this is strange. And it took me a while to figure out. So that's the thing. Most of the time, we, our first experience of it can be kind of weird and different. And actually, that's why there's a wide range of even opinions about this whole deal. There are some churches, theologians, and individual Christians who would call themselves a cessationist. I know I'm getting really wordy with you guys today. And these would be people who really believe that the sign gifts, gifts like tongues, prophecy, healing, and all that, 
um, have stopped with the early church. And it should not be something that we experience or pursue or look towards in the church today. There's another side of the spectrum that would be called continuationists continuing in these gifts. So people say, no, these are just as relevant today as they were 2,000 years ago, and it should be something we're open to and just even participate in. Just so you guys know, Northern Hills is a continuationist church. So we very much believe that God gives people these gifts, that people experience them, and they can be used as a benefit to the church. Now, I know there are people that get nervous because you're picturing like late night televangelists or crazy stuff going on. I had a bunch of jokes about this, but then Pastor Brandon's like, Brian, just don't do the jokes right now and that stuff. So they're right here, but I just can't say them because I want to be politically correct as I preach this sermon. Oh, it's so tempting though. Uh, so, but here's the thing. There are some of you guys in this church where you have experienced some of these gifts. Like God has given you the gift of tongues and it's been a real benefit to your own life and it's a part of your spiritual life. There's some of you guys here, you have seen God use you to play a role of healing in somebody's life. I've seen it happen. And some of you guys, you know that experience to have God give you a word for somebody at a moment in time, or maybe you've even received one. I've had that happen in my life multiple times. So this is very much something we're open to. Two chapters later in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 14, Paul spends the whole time, though, talking about an appropriate use of these gifts and giving them healthy parameters because he does not want them to become an unnecessary obsession or distraction for any congregation. And so that's why it's really important just to have a balanced, healthy view about it. But we're very much open and know that's a part of um, some people's spiritual lives. And actually, if this is totally new territory for some of you guys, you're like, I don't know what a gift is. I don't know what mine are. I'm you know, kind of interested in this. If you guys have the Northern Hills app on your phone or you want to download it, I put a spiritual gifts assessment in there for you. You can do online and it'll just get you started in that direction to get you thinking about what are some of my gifts? How's God equipped me? So I'd really encourage you just do that today. It'll kind of get you started down that path if you have no idea what some of your gifts might be, God gave those to you to use for his purposes. So I'll, I'll stop there with that question. This was a legit, real submitted question by someone in our church. Why do you always pick on Pastor John? <laughs> now, there's some conspiracy theories going around the staff right now that Pastor John submitted this question himself, or he has a family member or ally right now that is secretly... Um, <laughs> defending him. Now, if you are talking about picking up Pastor John about publicly shaming him about his March Madness failures or the fact that our staff try to force him to eat as many donuts as possible to see if we can get him to gain a single pound of weight, which I know some of you guys wish you had that problem that he had, or all of the other shenanigans going on. We make jokes about him being the oldest full-time staff member and how his back is always getting thrown out for everything. If you're talking about that, then yes, there are some shenanigans. Even this week, Pastor John went out of town for a day and we took the opportunity because he left his office unlocked, which is a big no-no, all right? This did happen to his office this week, unfortunately for him. And Solon may or may not have been a part of that, just so you know. He just started on staff, and I'm just saying. Now, I want you guys to actually hear this, because Nicole and I, we started as, you know, attenders of Northern Hills. We were just part of just a member being here. And when I first met Pastor John, we started talking. We just had an immediate affinity for each other. There was just an instant friendship, and we just really loved talking and hanging out with each other. And some of you guys, maybe you don't even know the whole story. It was Pastor John who had the crazy idea of bringing me on the staff and making room and space for me to join the Northern Hills family in this way. He was one who led that whole charge just in faith, really believing God had something for this. And guys, I've, I speak this from my heart. I have never experienced such a special 
working relationship with somebody as I do with Pastor John. Um, I love that man. And he, uh, you guys need to know, I, I trust that man with my life, our working relationship. We defer to one another all the time and lead this church with the other elders. And there truly, I know no man who's just has more humility, more strength, has made so many sacrifices for this congregation. And you guys, you know, for all the years, Pastor John has been here, this church has always been in the black. Even during COVID, we didn't need to make a single layoff with all that. And that was all because of his strong leadership. And there's a verse that comes to mind when I think of Pastor John. Paul says this, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor. And that is exactly what Pastor John deserves right now. Can we give him some love right now? So, just know we will continue to pick on him, though. <laughs> Trust me. Okay, let, let's, let's get back to some um, other questions here. Singleness is hard. I know it can be a blessing, but how does one meet other single people who are genuine, but not only after sex? Online dating is tough. How does the church support singles? You know, guys, I actually feel like generally speaking, a lot of churches kind of miss it with this whole topic. And what I mean by that is a lot of churches today, they kind of feel like these community centers for married couples with kids. And just kind of everything is catering to that group. And if that is not the season you're in or the situation you're experiencing, you can feel like a second-class citizen in a church. Like it's not really for you. And I think that's a real problem. And actually, I think the Bible balances out just the view of marriage and singleness really well. And it's something we need to balance ourselves out too. So first off, we have to acknowledge singleness is good. It's a good thing. Here's Paul teaching in 1 Corinthians 7. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. So you guys need to know, Paul himself, the probably greatest missionary who's ever lived, wrote a ton of the New Testament. He was a single guy. He wasn't married. He didn't have kids to take care of. And he, he didn't just say singleness is neutral, like it's fine. He said, no, it's actually a good thing. Like it is a very good thing. And we have this ridiculous narrative in our culture right now, which just makes it impossible for people. Because here's the message you hear. You don't want to be beholden to anybody. You don't want some noose around your neck. You don't want to be held down. You want to live your own life, be your own person. But if you're not married by 30, you are a failure. And it's like, you can't even figure out how to make this work. And Paul's saying, no, we can understand. Singles, this is perfectly good. This is a good thing. But we have to understand too, guys, marriage is not always the solution. Same chapter, Paul says this, but those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. <laughs> now, here's the deal. Paul's just getting real practical here. Saying, listen, you get married, you are going to complicate your life in a lot of ways. To which all the married people said, amen. amen. That was a little too loud up there in the front row. But <laughs> we just got to be honest here. And probably because of my line of work, I get a front row seat to more marriages maybe than the typical person. And I just got to be honest with you guys. For a lot of people, marriage ends up doing a lot of damage to their life. It does. People will spend years and decades trying to save, fix, repair, salvage, and even restart marriages. 
And it can take so much time and emotional energy and just even, again, years of your life that could have been devoted to maybe even more productive things. That, that's just the honest reality. And Paul is just saying, you got to understand, if you are single, you are going to avoid a lot of sometimes unnecessary pain and suffering. And that may not be a bad thing. And marriage may not be the best solution for you. So that's something we got to acknowledge. There's another layer here, though. We just got to see. Marriage is limiting. It's limiting. I'm in the same chapter still, starting in verse 32. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. And here's the comparison. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of the world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. All right, now we're going to flip it. Same principle on the women's side. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit, but a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. So again, very practical. You get married, you are placing massive limits on your life. Your interests are divided. Your margin is decreasing. You have so many other commitments that you wouldn't have before, and you are not going to be able to do certain things that you could have done if you're single. You're just not. In the same way though, you're single, that does open a door to a wider ministry impact, to be involved in so many more things that will help move the kingdom forward. And so that's just something to be mindful of that Paul's saying, just be aware of that. But I wanna say, cause it sounds like I'm kind of swinging the pendulum too far to the other side. It is okay to pursue marriage, okay? It's okay. That's the last idea here. Paul says in the same chapter, if you do marry, you have not sinned. All right, so don't feel bad about it. <laughs> um, so you're in here right now, you're single, you're like, Brian, I really want to be married. I feel like maybe it's something God has for me. Then I would say, don't need to feel guilty about that. That is an okay desire to have, and you are free to pursue that. Now, I know every single situation is different. So how old you are, your stage of life, your situation will affect this a lot. But the question was like, how do I find, you know, good prospects? You just got to realize, you know, you really want a good opportunity. You're going to have to work pretty hard to put yourself in situations to find good prospects, you know, and that would take a lot more time to unpack there. And you may have to start getting very comfortable with striking out a lot, all right? Because it takes sometimes some tough skin to go through yet another person who's not a good fit, but that may just be something, if you really want to be married, you're going to have to just realize that that may be part of the journey, but it's okay to do that. Now, there was another subtle question here I do want to speak it to. They said, how does the church support singles? I really feel like the right answer to this question is, at the end of the day, a church needs to strive to create this environment where anyone from any situation and status, whether it be your economic situation, relational life stage, anyone can feel like they are part of a loving family. That's, that's really what I think the church should be. This is what is so beautiful about the local church, guys. It puts you in community with people you normally would never hang out with. Because every single one of us, you just kind of move towards your peer group you know, your age and stage of life people. And yet you join this church, it is just this hodgepodge of radically diverse, different people. You look in this room right now, this is a strange group and a weird mix of people right now in a building together. You wouldn't hang out with a lot of these people, but that's what makes it so beautiful. Even just in the last three months, this is why I love the local church. Nicole and I have had so many different kinds of people over at our house. We've been over to so many other different kinds of people's. Uh, empty nester, married couples giving us marriage and 
child-rearing tips. We've had people who've been divorced, people who are single, people who are divorced again, people who are single again, people who are 15 years younger than us, 30 years older than us, literally the entire gamut. So many people Nicole and I normally probably would not, you know, hang out with, but the church brings us together is family. And there's just something so beautiful about that. And I know that some of you guys, maybe you hear me talk, you're like, okay, Brian, Easy for you to say, you're a married dude with kids, all right? So you don't really have much authority on this matter, which I I can totally understand that feeling. So I actually reached out to a woman in our church who I dearly love. She's like a big sister in Christ to me, has so much wisdom, and she happens to be single herself. And I said, what would you say to the singles in our church? Like, what would you want them to hear? Because you seem to be really thriving, you know, in this way. And she sent me all these great thoughts. This is just an excerpt from her. She said, one of the things that makes being single so hard is it is seen as something to get over rather than a life that can be fulfilling and purposeful in and of itself. Recognize, like any season of life, it is a gift filled with opportunities and challenges. It is God's calling for you today, and God is asking you to both trust him for today and wait on him for tomorrow, which may or may not include marriage. You can focus solely on getting married and become frustrated and feel as if something, somehow God is cheating or forgotten you. But God's plans and purposes for our lives always includes our highest good and his greatest glory, and he will never withhold any good gifts from us. We can trust him fully. I think that's a pretty good word from somebody who knows. So we'll leave it at that. That's great. Okay. Time flies while you're having fun. So we, actually, we have time for one more question here. And actually, uh, Tempe, our communications director, recorded a video to introduce this one. One of the topics that we receive the most questions about is the topic of homosexuality. We understand that this is a personal experience for many of the individuals and families here at Northern Hills. Some of the questions that we received is like, what is the stance of Northern Hills about homosexuality? Is there any support for homosexuality in the Bible at all? And what about transgender? Does it mention it at all? And what do we do for people who we know who have chosen to be transgender to support them and yet still be the light in their world? How many of you guys want to be in my position right now? (laughs) Talking about politically correct. Um, Let me preface this, guys. I wish I could spend weeks and weeks and weeks talking about this right now. You know, this is my first time, you know, in this role addressing this topic. I wish I'd have more than five or 10 minutes to touch on it. So I'm asking for grace right now because I know there's so many nuances, so many individual experiences, and I can't possibly touch every single nuance of this topic. But at the same point in time, I don't want us to be a church that hides from really important conversations happening in our culture, in our very lives right now. Why would we pretend like these things aren't happening in our world right now and just avoid them? Like this is real life for so many of us. So let's hit it. Let me do some initial comments though. I um. I was a youth pastor 10 years ago, and what was so interesting, even just 10 years ago, not that much time, you know, working with kids, the two things that always came up with students was self-harm and sexual purity. I mean, it was pretty much just the two, you could talk about that for an entire year and they would be perfectly happy and never got old. And even talking to students at that time, if, like, let's say the topic of homosexuality came up, for students at that time, their default kind of mindset was, this is not something I really would want to be a part of my life. It's not something I'd want to pursue. Like, it, it's something I'd like to work out. That, that was the attitude. Now, even in just a few short years, there has been a massive cultural shift going on. Probably one of the biggest ones we have ever seen, just with the speed and intensity of it. 
to now, if you are somebody who does not affirm or support alternative sexualities or lifestyles, you are at the same level as a bigot and even as bad as a racist in some circles. I think that's a fair assessment in most cases. I know that can be an oversummarization. I also feel, guys, that the church has done a pretty poor job addressing this conversation. There's been a lot of defensiveness, a lot of anger, condemnation, and hatred, caring more about making points than loving people. I think that's been a real issue. I think the church has done a poor job of really communicating a compelling vision for sexuality that is actually attractive to people and that they'd wanna hear more about. And the real challenge right now in the church, this is the real conversation between pastors, is is this truly an essential theological issue? Or is this really just open to interpretation and we need to stop you know, being so serious about it and we're free to have different positions and everything. And at the end of the day, here's the thing, we have to use the Bible as our ultimate authority. We have to, because what else are you tethering yourself to? Truly though. And some of you guys, I know you disagree with me on that point because you're like, how could you possibly use a book written thousands of years ago for any authoritative matters in our modern culture? I understand that sentiment, but the reason I do is because Jesus did. Jesus saw the Bible as ultimately authoritative on all matters of morality, life, and worshiping God. And here's the thing, if you die and rise from the dead, you get some authority on matters, okay? you get a stronger position. And Jesus saw the Bible's authoritative. So that's what I'm gonna do. This is gonna be a little scripture heavy because I want you guys to see that this isn't just me spouting off opinions or whatever. I'm trying to see if we can form a true biblical basis for some position and what the position for Northern Hills would be. So let's just work through this with the few minutes we have. Genesis 127 says this, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So the first thing we see is that God is the one who actually created our sexual identity, our gender identity. He is the one who formed us. He designed maleness and femaleness. What that means though, is if he created us, he gets to set the parameters. He's the designer. So he gets to decide the purpose and function. That's the first piece we see here. You fast forward to Genesis 2.24, it says, a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. So we see here too, marriage is designed and instituted by God, which means he gets to set the parameters for it. He defines what makes a marriage. And at any point throughout the entire Bible, there are no exceptions to this. Marriage is always defined and limited to a lifelong covenant relationship between a man and a woman. That is how it is defined in the Bible. That is the standard that we're supposed to aspire to. Jesus affirms this stance. This is not just an Old Testament thing. Matthew 19, 4. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator, God, made them male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So Jesus, again, reestablishes and affirms this. So that's marriage, sexuality, maleness, femaleness. Is there anything else, though, that speaks to this massive conversation? Paul, writing a letter to the Romans, Chapter one, verse 26, he says this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. He's talking about humanity right now. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. So we have to just face what this says right here. Paul is talking about same sex intimacy. And he's calling it shameful. He's calling it an error. 
and it is not something to aspire to, is what he's saying right here. He writes another letter in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 6, he says this, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Anytime you see sexual immorality in the New Testament, it is a junk drawer, all-inclusive term for any sexual activity outside of a marriage between a man and a woman. So this is the whole gamut. It covers everything when Paul says that stuff. But we got to ask, is this truly an essential issue, though? Like, is, is this, like, again, a hill worth dying on in that sense? Or is it really open to different interpretations? In that same letter and chapter, Paul says, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So the question is, is this a non-essential issue? Paul would say, no, this is an essential theological position. Um, to support, promote, live, any lifestyle contrary to God's design is to reject God. This is a matter of the heart and it expresses itself in so many different ways. With that being said, what this means is that every single person in this room is guilty. There is not a single person in here who gets off. And some of you guys are thinking, well, I've never done any of the extreme stuff. I've lived a pretty good life. I'm still married or whatever it is. Well, Jesus says this, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Congratulations, you're guilty. And you're like, well, come on, that's an impossibly high standard, Brian. That's just Jesus. Yes, it is just Jesus. Exactly. That's the thing. God has, us, has an incredibly high standard that he made us for. And we just have to understand, guys, every single one of us, our hearts are twisted. We all have sin. Our desires, our proclivities, the temptations that we give into, these are all things that we experience, however it expresses itself. And you need to hear me today. Whatever the thing is for you, because we all have different struggles and challenges, whether it is some form of sexual morality, gender dysphoria, um, whatever the thing is, I want you to hear from me. As the pastor of the church, you need to know there is a place for you here. You, you are welcome here. This is a place where you can be open. You can be honest. You are free to struggle. We want to go on this journey with anybody who wants to take steps closer to Jesus. And this is what makes the church so beautiful, guys. We're all sinners in desperate need of Jesus' grace. We are. All of us. And we all need just the encouragement in the community to be able to talk about the things going on in our lives so we can experience just the goodness and grace of God, guys. It is grace and truth together, which is what we were talking about. And just even as a little plug, Whatever your thing is, honestly, this covers the whole gamut because Paul listed quite a few different things in that list. That wasn't just about any type of sexual stuff. Every single Tuesday night at this church, guys, without fail, it never cancels, is this amazing ministry called Celebrate Recovery. 
And it is this unbelievable community of people in our church that are just journeying together to overcome addictions and challenges and issues even related to sexuality. It is one of the most gracious, loving environments you have ever experienced in your life. Some of the best people in our church are involved with it every single week and have gone through the program themselves. And there's just a meal at six. It's an unbelievable environment that so many people have experienced freedom from, from all sorts of things. But with all that said, I know there's probably even a good number of us in this room that would still say, Brian, I disagree. Like, I, I, just, I just don't agree. I think you're wrong. And there's no way you can love me if you don't affirm my lifestyle. Like that, that just, we can't exist together. And what you do need to hear from me today is pretty much every single person in this church is doing things I don't affirm. <laughs> Truly though, I mean, really, there's so many things in my own life that God still doesn't affirm. My affirming of whatever's going on in your life has nothing to do with my ability to love you and be in relationship with you. Truly. And that, that really is how the church functions. We go on this journey together. And with that being said, I would press a little bit. And if you are, you are, you know, you disagree, which you are free to disagree. I would ask, what research have you done around this conversation? Like, what, what serious research have you done? Because I know it's very easy. There's so much emotion. There's so much personal experience. It's very hard, and especially with the cultural dynamics going on, you can find somebody on the internet or social media that will affirm whatever position you have. And it's so important that we really wrestle through. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter how much the culture affirms you if God doesn't affirm that thing. And so we have to really wrestle with what does God want from us? And if you are interested, you've got kids, students, people in your life, or you're just interested, here's three quick resources I would encourage any of you guys. You can just listen to it on your commute or whatever. First book is People to be Loved by a guy named Preston Sprinkle. I think he does one of the better jobs of balancing just the heart, but also just the data and really wrestling through that. So that could be a good resource for some of you guys if you just want to dip, dab your toe. He has another book that just came out recently called Embodied. This is specifically around the transgender conversation and what it, how do you even think biblically about that, how to engage with the conversation and everything. I think that could be very helpful. And for any teenagers, college students, or if you have any kids in that stage of life, there's a book called Living in a Gray World, specifically guided for a younger person and how to navigate these things in school and life, work, all those types of deals. So if you are even more interested in this stuff, please email me. I have spent countless hours reading, researching, and all that kind of stuff and would love to have a conversation more deeply about this. I really would. At the end of the day, though, this is for all of us, guys. Whatever it is for you, are you willing to submit your convictions and lifestyle to God. Because it will cost you something. Every single person has to make sacrifices to follow Jesus. And I know for some of us though, that is a huge ask. Because it may mean that marriage may not be a practical you know, future for you. It may mean that you will be wrestling and warring against desires and struggles Maybe your whole life. God may never totally free you from those things for a variety of reasons. But I just want to encourage you, whatever sacrifices are required for faithfulness to Jesus, he has made a greater one for you. There's no sacrifice Jesus is asking of you that he hasn't made a greater one. That he laid his life down on your behalf so you could experience true grace and true freedom. And you know, Paul gave that whole bucket list of issues we all face. And he said, you won't inherit the kingdom of God with those things. You know what the very next verse is right after that? This is what Paul says. And that is what some of you were. 
but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Isn't that good news? Guys, guys, there is nothing that has gone too far to where Jesus couldn't show his grace. There is nothing you have done that makes you unworthy of what he has to offer. He wants to show an unbelievable amount of grace that you can't even imagine. It says you're washed, guys. When Jesus comes to your life, it is like getting the best shower of your life. Your soul is cleansed. All of your sin is washed away. He says you're sanctified. You are now set apart by God. You are a precious son or daughter of the Most High King. That is how he views you. He says you're justified. You are in right standing with God. He sees you as perfect in his eyes. What Jesus earned for you, that is what is being offered. Washed, cleansed, justified, sanctified. That is what is available to every single one of us. And we all desperately need us, need that. That's the gospel, guys. In Jesus, there's hope. There's a future for you. And we get this amazing gift of doing it in community as his church. And so I'm gonna close and pray, but I would just encourage all of us, reach out to Jesus, whatever your thing is, receive his grace, receive his goodness into your life. And he will walk with you. We will walk with you and you will see the amazing goodness of God working in and through your life. So can we pray together as we close right now? Jesus, right now in this moment, we just acknowledge that every single one of us, we need you. None of us are perfect. We all have sin. We all desperately need your grace. And we are so thankful that we have a God who came to this earth, died in our place, took our sin, and now is offering true life to all of us, eternal life, forgiveness, grace, hope, joy. I wanna pray specifically though for anybody where this message truly hit the heart, that they would not experience any condemnation, that they would feel no judgment, that there would be that perfect mix of truth and grace working in all of our hearts, that you give all of us the wisdom in how we can live this out with whatever you call us to, Lord. And we know at the end of the day, Lord, we can trust you. And so we just give you our lives today. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message. If you'd like to get involved here at Northern Hills, check out our website at inhills.org or download the Northern Hills app. We hope to see you again soon.